Welcome to episode four of the Ward's Auto Podcast. My name is David Kiley, Senior Editor at Ward's Auto. If this is your first time with us, I hope you will listen and then check out our first three episodes in this series as we explore different angles of the great transformation as the auto industry goes from being organized around the internal combustion engine to an industry focused on electrification. In our first three episodes, we've talked to some of our expert analysts at Ward's Intelligence, as well as industry leaders like Jordan Choby, head of powertrain at Toyota North America, and Martin Fisher, who heads up the North American business of ZF. Today, we have some fun talking to Scott Keogh, CEO of Scout Motors. I've known Scott for a really long time, from when he was in PR at Mercedes-Benz and then got tapped to lead the launch of the smart brand in the U.S. Then he made his way to the Volkswagen Group to run marketing at Audi of America and then head of that business. And then he was head of both Volkswagen and Audi in America. We're using all our time today to talk to Scott because we want to explore as many subjects as possible about what it's like to be starting a new company in this age of electrification. So when we come back, we'll be joined by Scout Motors CEO, Scott Keogh. The Wards Auto Podcast is brought to you in part by Wards Events. Wards Auto is proud to bring you a series of auto tech events throughout the year and throughout the world. AutoTech Detroit 2023 was held in Novi, Michigan this June, where more than 2,500 industry peers and innovators came together to share content and insights about electrification, connected car, autonomous driving, and more. And it's where Wards Auto and parent company Informa presented the 10 Best Interiors and UX Awards, as well as the Informa Tech Awards. Check out the agenda for AutoTech Europe this November to be held in Germany, and AutoTech Electrification to be held in Michigan this October. At Wards, we're all about the future and guiding our readers and listeners to what's next. Go to wardsauto.informa.com. Thank you, Scott Keogh, CEO of Scout Motors. Thanks for joining us on what is Wards' really maiden voyage and the podcast. So. David, pleasure to be here, and uh, I guess it's a compliment. I'm on the maiden voyage. I would I would assume it's a compliment. I, I assume you got all the kinks out, and we're ready to go. But no, I'm excited. It is. We we've done uh, three episodes, all about the uh, transition from an industry focused on the internal combustion engine to one that is being centered around electrification. In the previous three episodes, I've talked to somebody from Ward's Intelligence, and then we have talked to an industry leader who's kind of in the thick of this. This episode's a little different. Uh, We're going to give you the whole episode because you are coming out of the ICE industry, although you had um, uh, certainly uh, worked on the EV product plans for, for Volkswagen and Audi, but you're starting Scout Motors from scratch. And so that is a very unique position to be in it. So we want to we want to pick your brain a little bit, Scott. <laughs> I love it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's super unique and obviously super cool. That's why I'm here. So uh, the first question we have, when did the idea 
of reviving the Scout brand first come to you and and just kind of put us in that in that room when it all just kicked off? Yeah, David, as you can know, when these things happen, it's always like bits and pieces. It's sort of like intelligence. So you get data points flying everywhere. But if I, I think there's a couple of things. I, I think the first thing, a little bit of, you know, necessity meets opportunity meets cool. And I think if you put those mm-hmm. three things together, that's how it happened. So from the necessity point of view, I think it's quite clear. I think, you know, the Volkswagen Group has huge market share in, in, in China and in Europe and certainly in the United States. We were looking at what would it take to get the group to 10 points of market share in America? What types of ideas would we need? Of course, we have the great brands of Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche. That gets you to five points of share, maybe a little bit higher. What else could we do? So that was sort of the necessity. I think, as you know, geopolitics being what they are, it's critical to be strong in all three regions. I think the opportunity, of course, was a couple of things. I mean, opportunity... Number one, of course, is we know for a fact the big-time profit pools are in rugged SUVs. The big-time profit pools are in pickup trucks. We know those profit pools are dominated by American brands. It's an audience that buys American. In fact, you know, David, 81% of those segments are dominated by American brands. There was an article that ran in Automotive News that talked about the acquisition of Navistar and talked about boom, what an instant credibility factor the Scout brand gives you. And, you know, other bits and pieces, I can remember during, you know, the COVID madness, I was at my brother's house in uh, in Nantucket, and I was taking the kids to the beach, just this beautiful little sun going down kind of moment, sand dune, and there was an orange Scout to right sitting there, like perfect couple, perfect thing, perfect moment. And I remember just putting all these pieces together and be like, hey, 10% market share. We have this great asset. And mama mia, this cool car is cool as heck. And then from there, obviously, we put teams together, put different things together and, and, and assembled it. And, um, you know, that's how it came about. A little bit of necessity from the group, this great opportunity, this iconic uh, brand. And then I don't need to tell you this power of what's happening in these, let's call them get outdoor, do-it-yourself, cool kind of vehicles is going through the roof. And we said, Mm -hmm. this is the chance of a lifetime. So that's loosely how it came about. Okay. So explain, if you would, because I feel like it's nuanced or something, the the relationship between Scout Motors and VW Group in terms of the ownership and how it's managed. Like, like who exactly owns Scout Motors? Yeah, so... Who owns Scout Motors 100% is Volkswagen AG. That's the parent company. Of course, the parent company, as you know, owns Audi. You Mm -hmm. you know the story there. And of course, we set it up as an independent company here in North America. So it's the first brand that's headquartered, set up, incorporated here in America. And the reason we did it that way, and I think the best way of looking at it, is Volkswagen AG is the backer of Scout Motors. So Mm there's sort of what I would call the seed money and the seed backing to get this thing going. Why did we do it that way? I think one, in many regards, we wanna make sure Scout can move fast, Scout can move independently, and Scout has, let's say, all the possibilities open. So for example, if we wanted to go seek strategic partners to invest in Scout, whoever they may be, you couldn't do that unless we're an independent brand reporting in this way. If we theoretically wanna have an IPO and go to capital markets, this is something that we can do. 
So to me, it's a it's a perfect equation, you know, and I know there's, you know, these sort of TV shows saying it's this meets that meets this. I think it's mm -hmm. iconic brand backed by Volkswagen, which helps with supply chain, helps with purchasing power yeah. with the flexibility of a startup. You put those mm -hmm. three together, away we go. So you are steeped in marketing, you know, experience and knowledge. Talk to me about the Scout brand because it hasn't been marketed as a new thing since what, 1980 or something like that, right? Correct. And, uh, and baby boom, <laughs> I mean, I remember it, but I'm the last year of the baby boom. So talk about, you know, things like unaided brand awareness and, and the research that you did to find out, okay, should we build a business around this brand? Um, because I've seen, you know, there, there have been attempts at reviving old brands and it never really gets past a boutique kind of, a, you know, operation. So, so talk to us about what led you to the, the brand case. You've got the business case. What's the brand case? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. I, I think a couple of things. I think the first thing you mentioned research, you know, what's the three simplistic things that we research? I think the first thing, the brand and what is its possibilities, what's power, that's clear. The second one, of course, the product, what would they expect from an electrified product? I'm sure we'll get into that. And then, you know, what's our proposition? What, what are we bringing to the table? And of course, I'm glad you brought to the surface these other, let's say, retro comebacks, let's call them. And whether they come in the form of a mini or they come in the form of a Beetle, there's different ways to do it. I think there's a couple of things dramatically different. And I, and I think the first thing that's dramatically different, which is rare, Usually these sort of stories go away because the times change and the segments so dramatically change. And then you try to jump into a segment that was full of life and full of everything 40 years previously, but it's gone because that whole moment is now different. The world has changed. Rare is the day when you're jumping into a segment that's actually about a hundred times bigger than it was when they left. The segment's only gotten bigger, more, more opportunity. I, I think is the first thing. What our research told us is there was about 30% unaided awareness of people buying cars heard of Scout. So that's the first thing. And that's a awfully good start. Mm -hmm. If let's say you're going to do a startup, you need to create a generic name. You're going to have zero and then you need to work from there. So I think 30 was good. I think mm -hmm. the second thing we loved, and this is a critical thing, is it has a name, even if you never heard of it, very positive attribute. And the reason that is, is of course, they got hold of the name in the 50s and the 60s. You know, David, if you look at it, honestly speaking, basically every SUV name has been came from this archetype. From the spout came the Blazer, mm -hmm. the Trailblazer, the Pathfinder, the Discovery, the Explorer, mm -hmm. on and on and on and on, because they all come from the original. And basically mm -hmm. that is Scout, which we think is cool. The second thing we liked, which I think is more important than unaided awareness, is we showed the brand and people said, ah, iconic American brand. We're building things again in America now. This sort of comeback story of if you think about the American that was building things, in many regards, we see this coming back now. What would really convinced us is when we married it to a product and we showed some initial sketches and things like this. And that's when people said, ah. I can now marry this 
thing I've heard of called Scout to a product, and then boom, it went through the roof. So we knew we were onto something, and honestly, it keeps getting confirmed each and every day. The other thing, David, not to get wacky into America at the times, but we really saw a couple of worlds that worked quite well. I think the first thing, coming from the agricultural roots, the name has 100% heartland credibility, full stop. If you look at a lot of the people who have kept the brand alive over the last 40 years, it's the whole, you know, resto mod awakening that's been and out there. And now you see scouts for 200, 100, $300,000 and, you know, massive popularity off in the coast of America and everything else. So I think with this brand, honestly, this is a no joke 50 state Levi's type of brand that translates mm -hmm. to everyone. So I think you don't get those opportunities too often. And to go at it with a clean slate when EVs are being reset, uh, you know that quite well. Yeah, it's pretty perfect. Was this idea, was it already baking or baked when Ford? released the Bronco and and uh, was was the Bronco and, and the reception it got, did that sort of feed your, you know, your kind of stoke the engines for the business case? Definitely. I think it was what I would call a data point without a doubt. I think not only the Bronco, but I would think of, you know, I, I think even if you look to a car like the Defender, let, let's say, for example, which was at a different stage, as you know, the timing of these things. But there's no debate in America. I think we've had this bit of, you know, semi-isolation that sort of came from COVID and came from everything else. I think no debate. There's a power to connect. There's a power to get out. And I think there's a power of, of vehicles that are capable and de facto make me more capable and make my family more capable. So I think it's, it's a big ecosystem, but certainly the success of these other products played into it. And then I think the other one, you know, is, is, is look, if we were playing, let's call it the ICE game, and we said, okay, would we bring Scout back? And, you know, whether we do, you know, a supercharged six or a V8, some of the old days, right? We probably would. I think, honestly, the scaling effects and everything else. But the fact that you have this, I'll call it jump ball reset in the marketplace with EVs also contributed in it because it, it gives you a chance of, you know, let's say the market now is what, four or 5%. You probably know the latest numbers, you know, mm -hmm. moving to 50, 60, 70%, some states 100, as you know, that's the chance of a lifetime when they have this reset. And to be able to do that with an iconic brand and the scaling effects are equalized in, in many regards. Everyone's mm -hmm. building newer factories. Everyone has similar scale. It's, it's the timing's quite good. So you uh, t talk about the platform for the vehicle. Is this one of the existing Volkswagen EV platforms? Are, you know, are you adapting it? Is there a new platform? It's a full stop scout platform. And, and I think if you look at it, and let's be honest, I think there's a world of people that say, oh, God, Volkswagen's messing with the iconic scout. And we know without a doubt, if there's a hurdle we've got to clear, that hurdle is called the credibility hurdle. Full stop credibility, this car needs to be capable. And I think some people are saying, oh, they're going to take a Tiguan or an Atlas or some kind of thing and kind of scoutify it. So we knew our mission quite clearly. We spent a lot of time in the community. We spent a lot of time uh, out at the Harbor Festival and everything else to get a sense of what to look at. So, so no, new platform. Okay. Uh, not to get into crazy details, but it will be a rugged K 
capable platform. So it won't be what I'll call just a looker. This thing's going to be a doer, full stop. And I think that's critically important because I think the first hurdle we need to clear is this thing capable. Once we clear that, we can tell our story and, 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 and we can go. Now, David, don't make a mistake. Uh, you know, one of the possibilities we have is on the components front. So are there components that we can take from the group brands that use at Scout 100%? We know their work, we know their safety, we know they're reliable, we know it's credible, we know we get the scaling effect. So there certainly will be uh, uh, some components that come into the car, but I, I think that's a big chance that we have and will really help us, obviously, with the business case, the ramp up, all the things that you know. And do you, are, are you benchmarking, you know, sort of with Jeep and, and Bronco and some of the, and, and, and the Defender, which you mentioned, are you benchmarking their off-road chops their features their credibility so that do you feel like you have to match or or e even do better th than them no david this is the exact debate if, if you want to simplify this segment of course we're making two cars as you know mm -hmm. we're going to make you know let's say the return of the you know let's call it the scout three if you will right it's the last one was the scout two and then mm -hmm. here comes the scout three and the second car we're making, of course, is a pickup truck. I think if you know off the Scout platform, they made a Terra, which was a pickup truck. Mm -hmm. So, And I, look, I think in our minds, you have this sort of bandwidth that this, the whole segment looks at. And there's work and play. And then you have an Essene Pledgeum that says, this is a no-joke work vehicle can get the job done away you go. And then this is a play vehicle. You can name the brands and sort of where they sit. So without a doubt, we looked at the Jeeps and we looked at the Bronco, of course, uh, we looked at the pickup trucks, we looked at the more higher end cars, right, Rivians, Defenders, all of that. And we sort of looked at them in this spectrum of work and play and where do we want to put our car, you know, to succeed. I think if you look at the original Scout, you know, they used a great line and they called this thing the, 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 the eight day a week truck, the eight day a week vehicle. And I think that's exactly right. We are looking to do something that can go to the extremes without a doubt and have, you know, whether you want to snow plow and winches and everything else, yet also offer a great get outdoors type of lifestyle. But it's definitely going to err on the more rugged camp. I don't think we need to go to the absolute drop dead extreme that says, OK, this can go up. I don't know, Mount Everest or whatever, but it's going to be extremely uncomfortable on a road. I think we can find a good pendulum, but it's definitely going to err on the capability camp. So there'll be no shortage of its capabilities, let's say. But yeah, yeah we this, that spectrum and yeah, we've, we've driven them all. The standard, you know, is sort of, you know, can it do the Rubicon Trail? You know, that's the, the Wrangler positioning. Um, is that, would that be sort of the scout it's probably not going to be quite that, but it'll be close to it. And, and I that'll... think that's I, I think that's an accurate statement. Look, I think no one's going to say this car is under capable. I, I think mm -hmm. that won't be an issue for us. But what you don't want to do is isolate yourself and make the car into 0.02% of the market. Yeah. Neither, of course, do we want to have just another warmed over SUV that's a sleeper cell mm -hmm. on wheels. So, you know, no interest in making that. We want to make a car that's capable, a car that's fun, it's going to put a smile on your face, and I have no doubts we'll do it. So so this is a fast-moving industry and segment of the industry in terms of range, for example, and a lot of discussion lately about how, how much range SUVs 
should have because of the weight of the batteries and you know things like that. Where are you in that discussion about what you because you're you're still a few years out, you know, and 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 it's not like the industry is standing still. What do you think is the sweet spot for for range? Look, these are the conversations we're holding each and every day. Plus, it's the decisions we're holding each and every right down. And look, look, you've analyzed it. I mean, you have the physics side of the equation, and physics doesn't lie. Of course, weights and range have a directly correlating effect to each other. So you've got to look at those two things. And then I think the other thing, of course, is cost and capability. And that's the triangle we're looking at each and every time to say, okay, we want to make sure we can offer maximum range. We want to make sure the car is capable and what that means. And of course, look at the cost to go get this done. So look, I think there's going to be a couple of things that are going to happen. One, I think this swing into breathtakingly heavy, breathtakingly expensive types of vehicles is not necessarily tenable for the majority of Americans. I mean, $110,000, no matter how you slice it, is a really expensive car, no matter how you slice it. And I know it's, you know, we know for a fact, if you look at average transaction prices, we know for a fact, American salaries have not gone up by 300% the last couple of years to go for mm-hmm. those things. So we want to put a vehicle into the market. I also think there's going to be a little bit as more and more people adapt to electrification and EVs. I think this sort of, let's call, ultimate heavy range war is going to die down a little bit because people are going to see the practicalities of 300 is a darn good number. I feel good around 300. I can get around to 300 because, you know, as you know, all of that extra weight, you drive around with it each and every day and you pay for it each and every day, even though you may use it 4% of the time. So it's this concept, you'd be smart. So, but you do need a threshold that someone feels, yeah, that's going to be a good one for me. So I think your three to four number is a good one that still hits a decent yeah. price point. That's the trick. Okay. So let's talk a little bit while I got you about infrastructure, because a lot has happened the last couple of weeks. Um, in fact, I have a story going out today where, you know, my lead is, uh, Imagine a world where Betamax actually won out over VHS because all these automakers are are now flocking to Tesla and and their magic uh, you, you know thing. So, uh, but actually, the story that I that I wrote, uh, you probably read this stuff too. It sounds great in terms of having a more established, you know, being able to access a more established uh, fast charging network. But in practicality, it, it always it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how the mundane can get in the way of something. So so the cars that are going up to the Tesla chargers are not optimized for those. So the port is in is not in the same place as the Teslas. So the cables are too short. So now the, 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 you know, if you go up with a Ford or a Mercedes or, or a Volkswagen to, to use the, the Tesla charger, a lot of people are having to park sideways across like two or three spaces, you know, in order to, to charge off that. So I got, so my question first is, <laughs> my, I, have, I have a two-pronged question. 
One is, uh, how do you view this as you've been watching these automakers all sign up to access the Tesla network? And secondly, one of the things I guess they're going to have to decide if if Tesla's going to be the standard and they want to, you know, use that is relocating their ports. And, you know, unless they're going to retrofit all these things with longer cables, I'm not sure which is the 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 easier solution for that. So. So look, I'll I'll tread lightly on section two of your game, but more on one. But I'll but I'll get it. I, I think the first thing, look, I think this is a lot of drama right now because it makes for great headlines, right? The big brands using Tesla. And look, to me, I'm quite pragmatic about it. I think you do need one standard. Everyone knows we need one standard. At the end of the day, how can you get the energy into the car. And obviously you want to do that with maximum scalability at the lowest cost, full stop. I think in a couple of years, this will be a non-conversation between, let's say, NACS and CCS and everything else. Obviously, the world seems to be tipping to NACS. I don't see the drama. I view it as good news. What am I selfishly most interested in is there's one standard across the board, full stop, so everyone has it. Bang. That's the thing. Now, ideally, what comes with that, because then you have, let's say, one plug to rule them all, let's call it. Then, of course, you need, of course, the software platform, whether it's plug in charge or whatever, to be like one code to rule them all. And you put those two things together. Fantastic. That's good news, because then I can go to Tesla. I can go to Electrify America. I can go to XYZ and and, and away we go. So. I think it'll all settle down. I think at the end of the day, getting one is a, a, a good thing for customers. Now, come along with that is some of the complexity that you've referenced. You've got cars on the road, and then of course you've got the mythical cable, as you've mentioned, right? It's a shorter cable. How does it fit alongside, let's say, a bigger vehicle and so on? Mm-hmm. I think all that stuff is going to come out in the wash, and it'll come out because we shouldn't be looking at the infrastructure as we see it now. We have the infrastructure to basically keep 4% of the market on the road. The future infrastructure, which keeps 50 to 60% of the market, is going to straighten all of that out. So I'm not overly panicked, but definitely there's going to be some speed bumps. You're going to have a Tesla owner who's going to be like, wait a second, this is the Tesla network. This is my network. I built this network. This thing's mine. That's my car, my brand. Of death. What's this thing taking up three charges, for example? So yeah, it's going to be a little bit of speed bumps, but overall, one plug is the way to go. Well, you're a branding guy. One of the re- re- things I think about is Tesla wins out on the infrastructure standard. They have the best, most reliable, most trusted chargers. You know, if I'm Ford or if I'm Volkswagen or if I'm Chevy, you know, I grudgingly did this deal out of necessity, but I'm not crazy about my Ford customers plugging into a Tesla brand, you know, with with frequency and maybe viewing Tesla as the most trusted brand in the Bev space because they figured it out. They're the ones that 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 have made my charging life a lot easier and better. Yeah, look. You're drawing your own conclusions, so I'm not going to plunge in on your conclusions, (laughs) Mr. Kiley. As you know, I'm not going to that dance. Uh, But what I do think is once you have one plug, let's say, or one standard, there'll be some other brands 
that'll be serving you energy to simplify the thing. And whether it's Electrify America, whether it's the other ones that you know quite mm-hmm. well, I think that'll dissipate. And by the way, there could be even more to come. But I think the good news is, theoretically, they're going to be on one plug, which I think is the good news. So definitely there's going to be some hiccups at this, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say I, I would call this the sort of time where, um, yeah, a little bit of the gold rush, everyone's heading across and trying to figure it out. But I think in a couple of years, it'll be clear it's one standard. There'll be more than one brand serving that standard. And I, I think that becomes less of an issue from my perspective, David. Okay. Let me uh, hit design for a second. You you hired a uh, uh, head of design recently. Um, we did. For, Chris so, Benjamin, great guy. Yeah, Chris Benjamin from Stellantis. Now, my question is this. So you had put out, you know, some imagery about, you know, the new car before he was hired. So where exactly are you in the process of the vehicle design that we are going to see debut? I'd say, look, I I don't think it's good to ever put a percentage on something that's design as unit is. But look, I think we're 60 to 70 percent of the way there. Chris and I spoke at length. We had tons of meetings. And I said, look, we have a basic architecture. We have the proportions, which, by the way, I think the proportions are perfect, which, by the way, drives good design. But the sketches were exactly what they are. The sketches. They're not the real car and what we're going to bring to market and stuff like that. So I think Chris has tons of bandwidth to make magic happen. And uh, and I think he will make magic happen. As you know, we did show a car. We clinic the car out in California and Dallas a few months ago now and got phenomenal results. Mm-hmm. But now we have cars that needs to marry with manufacturability. What does it take to make the car? That needs to marry with drag. Obviously, we want all the, all the drag and, and everything else to make the car strong in range and efficient and everything else. Uh, but Chris has a massive sandbox and he's mm-hmm. enjoying it so far without a doubt. So I'd say 60 to 70%. And, and look, uh, like all design, you have to pay credibility and respect to the original scout, right? You can't pretend it didn't exist. You know, theoretically, we would be on like generation eight now or whatever it is. It'd be kind of calculated across. And so we have to respect that. Yet it's an electric vehicle. The goal is, of course, not to, you know, recreate that 70 show again with the design. The goal is to say, hey, let's, let's, let's be modern and cool about it. But he knows how to navigate that. And I think he will. Well, that's interesting that you you bring that up because when I covered the launch of Mini, that was very much what what the designers had said. It's like we didn't want to recreate or or sort of doll up the original Mini. What we put ourselves in is okay if the Mini had kept getting improved every five, six, seven years. You know, during during all those years, what would it look like now to be true to the brand but competitive? For the now, and and I thought many from a design standpoint hit that nail really well, but it's been a difficult slog for many. They they really they hit a ceiling and they you know and they, and they haven't get past it and they've sort of fallen back a bit off that ceiling. Uh, does does any of that concern you, or does you feel like that's a problem specific to that smaller segment? Yeah, look, I, I'm not the expert on many. What I do know is. That segment, where there's a lot of other cars, what it was in the 60s, fast forward to today, is a different world. It's probably 400% smaller than what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, the entire world changed. So mm-hmm. what you're honestly, what you're doing in some regards is you're diving into a nearly empty pool. 
So yeah, it's tough to sustain something when much of the water has been taken out. Yeah, full stop. I think if you go with Scout, it's the exact opposite. I would argue Scout maybe was a little too early. <laughs> there was no real SUVs. They didn't have them for families. People are trying to right. figure this thing out. Now it's fully, fully, fully 400% larger than what it was. So I don't see that being the challenge at all. The segment is through the roof, as you know, and then electrification brings the top. So the other thing I think you have to remember with a lot of those products that you're referencing, one thing was the segment, one thing was the times. And a lot of them had sort of this post-war austerity merged with people moving to the suburbs, merged with cost issues and everything else. And so they were really products of the times. And it's super, super difficult to go recreate the times. No matter what the design looks like, the times have moved and changed and evolved 40 years later. And that's the truth of a lot of these types of vehicles you're referencing. If I go to the times of Scout, I don't see it. Uh, Reindustrialization of America. Let's make things again in America again. Let's plunge in on the two most profitable segments in America on and on and on. The, you know, so it's I, I see it as a different world than what I'll call the nostalgic plays you're referencing. I think the other thing, David, that's important at the end of the day, those were straight up brands for the most part. What we're talking about here is an entirely new company. So we have a new company, mm -hmm. a, a new way of doing things. And of course, a new brand comes with that. So look, I'm not being defensive. I think mm -hmm. it's a good analogy. I think it's fair. I think we thought about it. And I think Clearly, we've got an opportunity to do more than that, a lot more than that. Last question for you. Um, in terms of distribution, uh, are Volkswagen group dealers going to have the first crack at, at you know, at a Scout franchise? Will they be sold on a on a same showroom as Volkswagen's, let's say? Or if you want to if you want this brand, if you want to sell this brand, do, do you have to, you know, build new dedicated showroom space yeah look two things i i think the first thing 100 scout motors is a separate company separate line make separate everything full stop so we okay. will have our own way of selling these vehicles full stop i think the second thing of course is we haven't announced how we're going to go about it we will and when we do um yeah i'll, okay. sit, on, I'll sit on this podcast and we'll uh, we'll, we'll talk about it so it's, it sounds like maybe there's even a little direct selling kind of Tesla stock. Like I said, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sit across from you. I'll look at you on this thing. I'll, I'll get a hat like yours and we'll talk about it. <laughs> but honestly, to, to, you got to, first of all, you need a company and that's what yeah. we're running around doing, ramping up this company. The second thing you need a product and then you need a factory. Get those things dialed in. We'll get our sea legs off, get stable. And then we'll release the next next waves of the plan, if you will. Okay. Hey, Scott, thank you so much for your time today. I know that our listeners and our readers and really the whole auto industry is has got their eyes on on you. No pressure to make Scout nah. Motors a, a big success. You, you want people talk <laughs> you want people talking about you in life. It's better than not talking about you, as you know, Dave. That's that's true. Anyway, th thanks again. And I look forward to uh Seeing you in person and, and seeing the vehicles in person soon. Awesome. Cheers, David. And that's a wrap for episode four. Hopefully you are enjoying our series, looking at different angles of the great transformation 
from an auto industry centered around the internal combustion engine to one driven by electrification. Thanks much to Scott Keogh for joining us. I look forward to charting the progress of Scout Motors as we get closer to its launch date. And remember to tell your friends and colleagues about the Wards Auto Podcast, which is available on most of the podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, and more. I'm David Kiley, Senior Editor at Wards Auto. Till next time.